Continuous improvement comes in lots of different flavors and styles. I'm Bella Engelbach, and I'm inviting you to journey with me to the edges of lean. Episode 113, The Qualities of a Lean Leader with Kathy Hizidida. Here at the Edges of Lean, we have had a lot of conversations about leadership with leaders who are practicing lean and with leaders who are not lean practitioners, but who are acknowledged as great leaders. There have been so many incredible insights and tips to learn from. But I believe lean leadership is different from what many people define as leadership. Kathy Hedizadeh says that lean leaders need to bring their humanity to work with their teams. And she joined me at the Edges of Lean to share her insights. Kathy Hedizadeh, welcome to Edges of Lean. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Bella. It's wonderful to have you here today. And um, I'm, I'm very excited about this topic, which is going to, we're going to talk about the qualities of a lean leader. We talk a lot about leadership um, on this podcast. So I've had a, a lot of really wonderful guests who've talked about many different qualities of leadership and um, how to gain those qualities or help other people gain those qualities. But lean leadership is different. And so um, I'd love to really get into your perspective on that. But first, Kathy, can you tell us about Kathy? Tell us um, who you are, what you do, and what was your path to doing what you're doing today? Sure, I'd be happy to share. So I come from a background in corporate America. I was for 15 years in corporate America, going up the ladder, and I became an executive in IT, in technology. I mostly worked for bigger organizations like DirecTV, AT&T, those kind of organizations. And in 2018, following uh, two years of thinking and some of the life experiences that I gained at DirecTV, I decided to start my own company, which focuses on executive coaching, leadership development, and mindful leadership, and how we can bring a human-centered culture to the organizations um, called heart-mind tuning. That's where I started it, and I have been going with one-on-one coaching, advisory, group coaching, and mindful leadership programs. Wow. So you were, as you were working in corporate America and working in these IT organizations, what did you see that made you uh, realize that there was extra work to be done, more work to be done around leadership? Such an amazing question, Bella, because um, my path is very much formed by my experience. And that's something that sets me apart too, because it comes from real world experience. And one thing that I noticed is that a lot of times there is a lack of understanding that the talent, after all, is just another human being. So it is very important to understand that these are humans, we are humans, and if we have lost our way to ourselves, how can we help other people be comfortable in the work environment and not lose the talent, not lose the engagement? I'm, I'm sure some of the audience might have heard about the statistics that is stating a good portion of white knowledge workers in the corporate America are disengaged. It means yeah. that they are 
collecting the paycheck and they are doing the work, but they are not engaged. There's a difference between a, an engaged workforce and, the, and then the workforce that is there just because they are there out of their duty. So what drives this disengagement is the fact that we have forgotten that humans are humans. And at the end of the day, they have families, they could have kids, they could have all kinds of issues going on with their mental and emotional health as humans. We have to understand and go back to the roots of understanding these people are humans. And, you know, historically in Western business, at least, there were, you know, there was a movement um, towards looking at people as being just, uh, I don't want to say machines, but but as just being um, a, an asset that you can put in a certain place, have them do a certain task, um, you know, a lot of industrial, early industrial management was really based on that idea of taking not not looking at people right. as people right and that's that still hangs on i think in business culture um but there's also a sense kathy and i and i hear this a lot from people that's like i don't want my work life and my family life to mix like it's none of their business mm -hmm. what's going on at home i don't you know as an employee mm -hmm. uh, some people feel that way I, you know i don't want you to know me Mm -hmm. What happens when an employee is feeling that way, that they don't want to be known? Is that a symptom of disengagement? Well, there is a, that's a really good question. Let's look at it and see uh, what does that really mean? So I see a lot of um, a lot of the leaders that I work with them are around my age. Like I am, um, I am almost fifty, and there are a lot of people in their early forties and fifties up to the sixties. There, these are the kind of clients that I work with them, and I can see that there are a lot of young people that work for them, and there is that generational gap of these people. Some of them want to talk to me twenty four seven about their problems. I don't know what to do with that because frankly, a technical manager is not designed to listen to people's situations and be caring for it all the time. They are not trained for that, frankly, and it will put them in an awkward position. So yeah. the question becomes where is the boundary between what's going on in a personal life and what's going on in, in the business life. First of all, we have to always honor the fact that um, when you are working for some place, it is in the service of that place. There's a contract there that you need to be in the service of that place. However, there is the fact that people um, need to feel some sort of a purpose and meaning, need to be connected with that, and need to feel that if I have a problem that is preventing me from being there fully in the service of that purpose and meaning, then it is time to share. It is not that it is my personal life, I don't wanna share it, but if I am, for example, I'm going to give you a very, very um, kind of extreme example. If somebody is going through a miscarriage, for example, mm. you cannot expect that person to come to work and a smile and act as if nothing is happening. Right, yeah. And yes, it is a personal life matter, super personal, but at the same time, it impacts their work. 
There is no way you, anybody can tell me, no, it's okay. It's, it's just not. And we have to understand where are the boundaries and we have to understand where are our boundaries that we are comfortable with. I think- As a leader. As, as, a, as a, le a leader would have their boundaries, the employee may have different boundaries and different expectations. Boundaries, boundaries, but it is important to be able to build such a uh, such a space that if the person feels like they are going to share with you, that they feel comfortable, that they are not terrified that, oh, I'm going to be retaliated or somebody is going to make fun of me or how, what does what is my boss going to feel if I tell them? They will think that my I'm not present in the meeting because I have something else going. And yeah, frankly, you might not be totally present because you have something going on with your body or something like that. So it is important to know the boundaries, but at the same time, build this space and capacity that if somebody is going through something, they feel that they can come and trust you and share to the extent that is comfortable to them. Building that space is something that I think lean leaders know how to do that because lean leaders are kind of some like coaches. Yeah they have learned how to build that space in a way that a person feels comfortable and safe enough to come forward and share something if that is impacting their work. So it's about adopting more of a, for, well, for anyone, but especially for a lean leader, it's about adopting and, and staying in that coaching place, about about listening, observing, and asking questions, not about trying to solve the person, the person's exactly. problem. Is that right? Exactly. And exactly. And that's the differentiations we are talking about lean leadership. That is a very big differentiation because most of the people who got to the higher levels, they get to the higher levels because they can solve problems. Yeah. They're amazing in solving problems. They get this accolade for solving problems. So how do you sit with another human being in their pain without that urge to solve their problem? That's yeah. That's question. Yeah. Yeah. And yet there's also, Kathy, I'm thinking that there are times when the leader can actually maybe not solve the problem, but can make it better for the person. So so the example that you used of someone, um, you know, going through a miscarriage, I think that's actually a really good example, because that's something that people, you know, a lot of people might not talk about, whether it's themselves or their partner uh, going through that in their family, they may not want to feel like talking about it. but if they can if there's a, a a trusting space for them to share that then there may be some things that the leader actually can do not to solve the problem but to make the workplace better for them to do some uh adapting for them for the, for a period of time mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. absolutely that's where i'm going with being a human there are boundaries, but allowing a person to connect with you as a human is a gift that you can give to your people as a lean leader without violating the boundaries. I'm going to really be keen on that because especially post-pandemic, I have seen a lot of problems with that violating the boundaries 
um, during the pandemic, obviously people had a lot of mental and emotional stuff going on for them. And I could see a lot of people, my clients coming and saying, oh my God, 24 7 they are talking to me about this happened and that happened and I have to go and just sit and listen to them is that my job and I was like no no your job is not to become their emotional toilet honestly because you right. are not trained to help them you are not trained to sit to to hold the space for everything that is going on in their life whether it is homeschooling the kids whether it is um, all kinds of things that we had to deal with at that time you're not trained for that. And that is not your job. Yes, you can have empathy, but to the extent that is part of your job. So I want to be very clear about these boundaries as we are talking about, because that seems to become blurry. It's I, I agree. I think it's very blurry, right? And 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 also I do think uh, that there is a generational aspect to that as well that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But and I can see Kathy how those, particularly the technical leaders, can get really uncomfortable with that really first. I mean, as you said, that's not what initially they're trained for. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, get you get into this stuff because you like to code. You know, that's and you're good <laughs> at coding, and you can <laughs> you you can solve you can solve that you can solve those problems. Um, and then these people come along, and they're all you know the they're worse than code in a way. They've got all sorts of, of hidden quirks that, you know, that that uh, that can appear to get in the way. So, but but what you're talking about, I think, doesn't that require a leader, whether they're whether it's someone who's familiar with lean leadership or not, doesn't that require the leader to start to get in touch with themselves first? It sounds to me that you can't really do that unless you know something about yourself. You are right on, Bella, because let's think about this. Um, there, Whenever we are presented with a situation, we will have a reaction. We are, after all, like any normal human being. So it, if we haven't done the work ourselves, we do not know what kind of a reaction will come out of us. And if it is the kind of reaction I want to have, or can I control my reaction, or can I, what, what's going on? Like, for example, I give you an example of myself. I, um, death is a, has been a very um, uncomfortable um, situation for me. As, especially when I was in corporate America and I hadn't done all the work that I have done these years of coaching. Mm. Um, when an employee would come and say, for example, that they are losing a family member, I've, I would become very sad. And I would do be like, oh my God, how do I, how do I just finish the conversation? <laughs> because that was very uncomfortable for me um, because I hadn't done my own work around it. And I didn't know where, uh, why this is so uncomfortable. At the same time, I wanted to honor them and I wanted to say, yeah, you know, sure, yeah, go to do, and I would say, you know, go do, take care of whatever you need to take care of, which is a human thing to do. But at the same time, I think we are humans that we feed off each other's energy. And if I want to just, uh, if I'm uncomfortable with that situation, I just want to finish that conversation as soon as possible and just 
kind of it can become very dismissive to the other person, right? So years later, when I did the work on myself and I was able to see, ah, my relationship with death is not the most healthy relationship in the world because death is part of life. Mm-hmm. And I need to look at it differently and I need to be with it differently. Then I realized how how I would have possibly acted in those days. So this is the inner work we are talking about. Again, I gave a very extreme example, but that is the kind of inner work we are talking about, that we need to know ourselves because it's our internal awareness that leads to understanding our external awareness and how we come across to people. People feel our energy. People feel what we go through. So when you're talking about that kind of work, some of that sounds to me as if it might be happening in therapy, but I think what you're saying that it's not, it's not necessarily all sort of therapeutic mm-hmm. um, work. It's, it's something else. So when you said that you had done some work and, and I think that's also, it's a great example um, the you know, talking about death because that's another taboo topic, right? It's still taboo. Um, even as you said, it's happens to everybody and happens in every family. It's it's still taboo to talk about people feel uncomfortable, they don't they don't know what to say. But when you said that you did that work, what what do you mean by that? What what did you do? How how did you address that? So I'd be happy to share about that, but there is and uh, you you mentioned the therapy and coaching and I want to talk about um the difference between the two to the audience yes there is always like whenever I approach the territory of how do you feel what does it make you feel people are like oh this is starting to sound like therapy hello and good morning to you part of your awareness is about how you feel your emotions and your behavior so I'm going to talk about the difference between the two after I answer your question um for how did I go about it? I had um, a very rough journey with it. And um, I come from another country originally. I'm an immigrant. I'm a U.S. citizen, but I'm an immigrant in this country. And um, I had a grandmother in another country. And for years, um, my grandmother, I was thinking that I'll go and I'll take my kids to see my grandmother. I'll go and take my kids to see my grandmother. And it's a long trip and you need to prepare for it. And maybe it wasn't as long, but in my mind it was as long because there's no direct flight and all of that. And uh, finally, my brother was getting married and I was like, okay, I'm going and I'm taking the kids and, you know, all of those things that I shared with my boss and, you know, everybody knew that I'm going on this trip during the Christmas break. And um, it happened that I went and it happened that, uh, when I arrived in that country, like that same day, my grandmother got hospitalized. And it happened mm. that I saw her, but she never got to see my kids. Ah, Yeah, it was really hard for me. And it, I came back to this country um, and I thought the thinking that time will heal. 
And I went back to work, and at that time, AT&T was, uh, had acquired DirecTV, so we had a mountain of work, and um, and I was thinking, yeah, you know, I should get, I should get go good, okay. Um, but no, that's not how things work. That's not how things really work in real life. You need to process the way you need to process the thing. And I had, if I had the knowledge that I have now, I should have gone to the um, grief counseling or something like that, which I didn't know anything about it, to be honest with you. And I came back and I told my boss and he was an amazing person. And he said, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, like- It's all good. I can suck it up. It's good. Yeah. Exactly. And I, was, I had two little tiny kids and a full-time job and I all the shebang and I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Um. But I was not fine. Every time I thought about my grandmother, I would start crying. Yeah. That means yeah. something is not right. So when I had, uh, two years after, when I had the chance uh, to go to the, I decided to explore coaching and I went to the coaching school and all of that. They, it was then that I realized there is something not right here. And you need to deal with that. And I went through a journey with that during my my tenure with the coaching school I went to a coaching school that we met in person and there, it was very rigorous and and I'm grateful that I did that and finally I was able to talk about it without crying and then I learned and part of my coming into this coaching was that one thing I learned was that my grandmother was a very impactful in people's lives and she was able to bring to make communities of people and these were the two things that I cherished in her. And I realized that during doing that work. And I kind of was like, I want to have that kind of impact in this world. So that was one of the foundations of looking into the work that I'm doing now. One of them. So that's the answer to your question of what do I mean by doing the work? It means really looking into whatever support you need to get to process what is going on with you and not dismiss it. And that includes, Kathy, being aware that something has happened, that something has changed in your life. And I do know that in corporate life, or even outside of corporate life, there is this sense that you pick yourself up and you dust yourself off and you, you know, that you, you just go on. So, so have, so having that awareness and, and I think what you're saying is really important for leaders, right? This is, this is what you're saying. It's important for leaders to stop and take stock of their own lives oh. and what they, what they're, challenges or traumas might have been because i just think this is terrific what you're saying that, that without recognizing that it's going to be very hard for you to be a human to somebody else because otherwise we're, we're all pretending we're all perfect all the time and and <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to do that right <laughs> it's not only kind of hard but also it is destructive and yeah. we don't understand the destruction this moment, but we will understand the destruction when we have that heart attack or when we have that back pain that doesn't go away with all the physical therapy in the world or when the neck is stiff every day. That's the, that's the destruction we are talking about because the brain 
and mind and soul and body are all connected. So if you are all the time in this pretend mode, something is going to give, and that's our body. Oh, yeah, interesting. Right, yeah. And yeah. a lot of people do not think about that because, yeah, you can brave it today and tomorrow and, I don't know, maybe another year, maybe two years, maybe five years, but down the road, it will come. It will happen. Yeah. So as you work with leaders, when 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 a leader comes to you and says, hey, Kathy, I want to work with you, mm. what are the kinds of goals that they have in mind when they start? And do those, do those goals change um, as they work with you? I love this question, Bella, because most of the time when people come and talk, what they have in mind and um, what we discover are very different things. Because mm. what they are having in mind is at the level of their awareness, at the level of conscious thinking, and and then we discover there is that level of subconscious that is really driving, and they do not go to that level. Or That's the beauty of coaching, because it's like, you um a coach looks is like a mirror that allows you to really go into places that you do not want to see that blemish in that in that mirror you want to see the beauty that you have and stay at that level um so yeah a lot of times what they think and what we discover are very different along the way um i give you an example actually i have a very good example right now there is a person who is a vpn is also a rocket scientist and um, I'm literally a rocket scientist, mm -hmm, a real rocket yeah. scientist. Um, and uh, he came and said, um, I feel very drained every day. And I think it's because of this work that I am doing. And little by little that we have gone into the layers together, we are discovering what is it that really makes him tired? considering that he is a very comfortable person when he talks about as a public speaker, which a lot of scientists are not, but he is. Mm, yeah. yeah. He is a very comfortable with public speaking, but there are different layers in there, which we have gone to the layer of how much do you think about what you presented after you have presented? That's an interesting piece. Like if there are people that they make a presentation, good, bad, whatever, they think about it for a half an hour, an hour, they're like, okay, good. Yeah, you know, next time I'll yeah, do this. Move on. Yeah, move on. Yeah. And there are people that they spend the rest of the day thinking, what do people think of me? Did I do a good job? And that is the mental capacity is going to be used by that kind of thinking because think about it if there is a machine that's all the time working 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 non-stop in your subconscious even when you sleep that is working so that's why you become and that's tiring that's exhausting exactly exactly so these are i wanted to just give an example of how things that people the way the people see it and the way that an expert sees it can be very different and that's that comes out by iterations and by going through and doing a discovery together. Somebody else might have been very different from this person. So it's every person is unique. That's the beauty of the journey. However, my experience is that although the journeys is un are unique, it seems to be like a lot of universal teams 
going on, especially with the target audience that I work with. Uh, so now that I have had the experience of working with more than thousands of people, I can see like the different categories, like imposter syndrome. It doesn't matter what level you are in it. I had, I was talking, he was not a client. He was, I was doing an interview for my research in my company with a SVP. And he was telling me he's been in this field for 45 years. And still he wakes up at night thinking that they will find that he's a fraud. Oh my goodness. 45 years. I mean, that's a long time. Well, that's going to take some... Well, that thought's going to take up a lot of energy too, right? I know this is a different person. Yeah. Plus, the waking up in the middle of the night—that's that's that's not, that's not helping. Yeah. So, uh, um, a lot of people, um, and I know this is true, but to, you know, even at senior levels, that there are people who are who really um, are not sure that they're the one who's supposed to be there, even if they're performing very well. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was performing amazingly at that level with a distributed team across the globe. But he was not my client. We were direct doing a research interview, and I had the pleasure of talking to him. Uh, but that was interesting for me that it is there, and he has chosen to stay with it. I mean, it wasn't my place to go further because it was a research thing. Yeah. Um, but that was interesting observation for me. So to answer your question, yes, there are some universal teams, the imposter syndrome. Um, mm. I want to be an inspiring leader, but I don't know how. Um, what is this executive presence that everybody talks about? How can I- Yeah, what is it? executive presence? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How can I be more confident? Um, oh, and this, and my, I, my energy, I tend to lose my energy. Uh, what do I do about that? So there are some teams that run or communications. How can I become a better communicator? And the interesting thing is that if I look at the self-assessments, a lot of times when it comes to self-awareness, people are like, I'm very self-aware. And I'm like, okay, all right. And then as we go through this, I'm like, but well, you are not aware of all of these things. Yeah. And right. then there's another layer, another layer. Yeah. 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 Yeah, this is a journey. But I'm thinking, though, that as people do this work with you, Kathy, then as as they uncover those layers, and, and as you say, it's not coaching, it's not therapy. Mm -hmm. But what it does do is, you know, let's take, the, let's take the leader who is burdened with imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. How much more empathetic that person can be with one of their employees who also has imposter syndrome? Right, that they're going to be, they could be a really good listener and coach for that employee, but they would have to, as you said, create that trusting space and perhaps even do a little bit of revealing about their own concerns in order for that to happen. Because the average person is not going to go up to their leader and say, I really don't think that. I'm the right person for this job. I've, I'm afraid you're going to find out I'm a fraud. You know, people are not going to do that. So, yeah. And they have every right to, because think about it, Bella, when you do that performance review, you <laughs> really, it's a lot of mumbo jumbo. So you can get whatever it is, the raise, the 
I don't know that you can be groomed for the promotion. I mean, how much, how much really self introspection happens in there in a, in a real way that you don't want to portray the best of yourself is how much of it is real. I don't know. I really, I worked for 15 years in corporate America and for, for the most time, I wasn't sure is performance reviews, how much of it is real, how much of it is introspection that would lead to something for me. The only two, the only time that I really felt my writing about this performance review is really like a deep journey is when I worked for DirecTV and because I had great bosses there. And mm. they and I was in um at a, during a time in there that the whole IT organization was going through a movement of how can we become a fearless organization. So there was such a cultural movement, which was one of the contributors to the my starting this coaching agency. Um, how can we become more fearless? So I was in a place that there was a lot of support for really what is sure. coming in the way of you going to the next level. So it was more of a real place. But still, like my boss, my boss at that time was super real and I could really put the real thing in there with him. I com felt comfortable enough. But my boss's boss, an absolute no. traditional thinker, and I was feeling that if I put it in there, I don't think he will understand where this is coming from. And I wasn't. Yeah, but, and you, uh, because you know, and then you're talking about the, the the written performance evaluation, yeah. right? Yeah. Right, and that's so different from the conversation. And in Lean, we talk about you want to have those conversations yeah. every day, as often as possible, right? As as it's, as not, possible. it's not every six months or once a year. Exactly. Um, it's 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 very very difficult there's written performance evaluations i think it's so true what you say you know you're sitting there and you're thinking about how do i write this so i can appear to be very competent but i don't want to appear to be to lack humility so how do i write it in such a way that i'm both demonstrating my competence but also demonstrating my humility and also you know um and uh yeah it's it can be a unfortunately a game and that's why in lean we would much rather have a conversation right. with a lot of listening yeah. and time to and, and and not necessarily you know tons of time but time to explore different opportunities and different different ways to experiment with moving forward as opposed to mm -hmm. to all right here's the thing you do right keep doing it here's the thing you've done you do wrong fix it right yeah met didn't meet exceeded that's yeah for her america mother <laughs> <laughs> i don't and i remember in my first job when i had my first thing i was like what does that really mean i mean and you don't get exceeded that much even if you're a superstar because if you if they put the exceeded the hr has to give you i don't know whatever it is that they need to give you um so they met means your gold and I didn't, it didn't sit well with me because obviously I wouldn't never get, didn't meet. I mean, coming from a background of being a perfectionist and being a superstar, I never got that. But I felt met is so dry. I mean, just yeah. met. You just, I mean, you just, you just met. the organization is met. So where is the shining part in this? Yeah, and and yeah, and especially when you're coming from, I think you know, from an organization like GE, which had that history, you know, of 
I've really, you, you don't want to be below Matt because that's going to be really yeah, bad. Exactly. Right? It's like you're going to be ready for that performance improvement plan, right? Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, um, but then we have a mindset coming out of school about grades. Um, we, we've talked about this on the podcast before, particularly people coming out of an academic background, whether they're coming out of high school or coming out of their PhD program, they're going to go into corporate America and they're going to want to get an A and corporate America is not going to hand out A's, right? No. And if you got an A this year, you might not get one next year. And and it's all has to do with things behind the scenes around yeah. salary pools and, and things like that, that most people have no idea what's going on in the right. background there. Absolutely. It's such a clutch, like a, like a shock at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So Kathy, you, you, so as you, as you work with an executive, with a, with a, with a leader and they are becoming more and more connected about their heart, their, their mind, their body, their, their, their spirituality. Um, what are the kinds of things that they, that they change in the way they behave with their employees? Hmm. Um, it is an imp- there it really depends on first of all where they are coming from but there is a couple of things that i can always see happening and one of them is their relationship with ego because we talk about that uh, in order for you to go up the ladder you are an ambitious person mm, because that's true. you can stay in your technical lane and be fine so there is a reason that you have gone become a people leader and then you're going to become a bigger organization leader or higher up. So th- there is an ambition in there. And with ambition comes ego. And ego is an important thing to see how we can curb the ego, but at the same time be inspiring. So a lot of the people that I work with them, they are very competent super competent um but they do not have the charisma or a body of a leader in a way that inspires other people and that's something that they get out of the working because one of my focuses in the work is executive presence what is that executive what is the executive presence yeah yeah because when i was told executive presence years ago i was like what I, it felt like very weird term, executive presence. So I was like, okay, I go and watch the executives and see how they walk, they talk, how they, you know, that kind of a thing. And there, it, there is really something that you need to build towards it, which is there are certain elements when it comes to communications, to the behavior, to um how you come across to the team and that starts with understanding where you are very well assessments integrally looking at these things everything and really understanding what are those hidden things that i don't know that come across and they impact me showing up as confident me showing up as inspiring, me showing up as charismatic. What are the things? And then we go under, we identify two of them at a time during the six months journey. That's really what I do. I think you cannot do more than two in a six months mm-hmm. journey. And then 
we'll see how much that takes how far do we go it depends on how deep things are um and it depends if the person needs to go and seek the help of another person or not i am if i see the need i always tell people because i'm very very focused on coaching and it advisory that's what i do coaching and advisory um if there is a need to process something further for example if somebody has had a traumatic experience around uh, not being a good people leader i tell them you need to go and work with a therapist i had a person from uh, intel once that she said she was flat out she came and said i don't want to manage people anymore in my life again that oh my was goodness. at the beginning of our thing together and she was like as is it is right now i she worked 12 hour days and she said i am burnt out and i don't want to feel this way so we worked on understanding what where she feels so that she can have the productivity that she needed for the organization but at the same time feeling good about herself the thing that happened she didn't have the readiness to hear this at the beginning but towards the end of our six months together she was able to set more boundaries of i do the job that i'm supposed to do but i take care of myself so that I can come to the meetings enthusiastically, not as a burden. There is a difference between the two. We all have to go to our meetings. We have, mm-hmm. it's, it's a job, it's a contract, but we can come with a mind that is fresh and it is ready to go, or we can come with from a point of, oh my God, I have to go through this. And it was then that she told me, what do I do? Maybe I want to manage people again. And I told her, okay, what happened in that job? But we've been together for five months. So, okay, what happened in that other job? And then she told me what happened. And I said, yeah, you need to go and talk with a therapist. Um, because because what had happened was not something that that was that could be healed through through coaching. It, need, it needed deeper work. Let uh, me tell you something, because this is this is the thing, the difference I see between therapy and coaching. In coaching, we go to the past, we take a look at the past, but it's a trip. We go, take a look, learn, gather the right, and we leave. We come back to the present and we plan for the future. That is correct. Now, in therapy, you can stay in the past as long as it is necessary for you to process what happened, who said what, how I felt. I came home and called, I don't know, all of my friends. Um, you can stay there for as long as it is necessary. It can be a year. It can be six months. It can be a month. There is no time frame on human emotions and how they change and how they evolve. That is not my forte. That is not where I can spend time on it. Because right, my, right. my practice is based on something. My practice is based on movement. That's the essence of coaching. But therapy is allowing a person to stay with what they feel for as long as it is necessary so they can process it and they can move forward. And that's why I told her, you need to go and work with a therapist because that's out of me. You can tell me what happened and I can tell you these are the things we can learn from that experience, but that does not solve the emotional aspect of it. Right, right. That's something something different. Yeah. 
And this is this is very critical. And I we we talk about this uh, quite a bit, you know, as we you know in coaching, that we do understand the difference between therapy and coaching. And it's and it's such a service to a client, I think, to say to be able to say to a client, as uh, you know, somebody else can help you with this this part, right? It's it's a gift to say, here's a pathway for you to take um, to help you with this part of, of what you need to work on. But you're still, with, with coaching, there's still this all of these opportunities to look at, well, how do I, as you say, plan for the future? How do I do something different going forward? What do I try? You know, how do I try it? How do I learn from what I try? It's, uh, um, and for a lot of people, uh, both is a very good place to be if if they can manage that in their lives mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well you know depending on what's going on people are realizing more and more especially because therapy is covered with most insurances so people even don't have to make a big investment like in coaching so yeah. it is even more accessible to them than coaching coaching is still um not a widespread or not a like a something that everybody thinks about the coaching is more of despite the proliferation of all of these uh, coaching platforms and all of those things is still if somebody wants to do the deep work is still more of yes I have to make an effort to go and find the right person and interview the right person and make sure that this is the right person and make that investment it is still yeah is. yeah yeah definitely Definitely. Yeah. Kathy, as as you look at the world today and you know, see, yeah, you know, there's there's so much, I think, fracture in society today. What do you see leaders struggling with when it comes to, to the kind of divisions that we see? Um, I want to understand the question a little bit more, Bella. So I think so that we've we've talked a little bit about some of the challenges with a leader um, being able to uh, to lead and to work with people with different generational expectations. I think the other thing that's really going on, well, there's a lot of things going on today, but the other thing that's really going on is that we have a lot of um, real differences strong differences of opinions among people around um you know especially politics but it would all kinds of aspects of life oh. and leaders i think really have to figure out how to manage that as they're working with groups of people with teams of people i was wondering if you had seen leaders struggling with that and and what they might have done to be successful Oh, that's a really, really hard question, to be honest with you, Bella, because, yes, for example, when that um, war at um, war between Israel and Hamas broke out, I had a I had a leader who was my client who came and said um, the the person who was part of his her team at Israel, he was drafted like in Israel. There is a seems to be a law that you have to go to the to the. Yeah military duty if there is such a thing going on immediately regardless of what your job you do or whatever the case is so she said that that family that uh, that um, person member of the team um came and said goodbyes because the team. because she was drafted yeah. yeah because he was being drafted and that's really 
hard emotions to manage yeah. that you, like, all of a sudden this person is going on and that same leader i remember when ukraine war was happening um at the beginning i mean because this is still going on at the beginning she came and said um their their technical team was ukrainian and mm. uh, they were they were developing or they were doing the work under the circumstances that they were and it's this is um mind-boggling that you you have people working under those kind of situations and how do you how do you um flex yourself to their psychological safety needs at this time and wow yeah that um she this is a real example that she said that it was i think there was some kind of a happy um thing going on in the united states and she was like, well, the rest of the team wants to talk about happy things. And how do we talk about happy things when somebody is going through such such turmoil? I mean, this is real things, especially nowadays with more distributed teams. We face, how can we stay human and at the same time honor what's going on with different people at different parts of the world? I really don't have a good answer for that because I have struggled we did with my clients too, like case by case basis. We have looked into things. I have lived through war myself. So I have a lot of um, understanding of how scary it can be and how you can lose within seconds your family or people. So sharing that perspective and the fact that I have lived through it, it was it helped us to talk a little bit and kind of get that preparation, but I don't have a really good answer for you and the audience, Bella, on this, other than um, becoming more aware of what's going on and not just dismiss that. If you feel that there is that turmoil in them and then there is happiness in the in the United, like American, North American team, name that, bring it up. Say it, say it, yeah. That it is part of life. That's uh, that you know there can be this this distress to them, and there are people living their lives in here. Just bring it up and make sure that you acknowledge it. Um, this is the best thing that we have been able to find because, really, frankly, nobody can do anything. And uh, and I have to say, there is a lot of fear. Like people tell me, I don't know what to say. Yeah. And I Some, really think that's dangerous. Yeah, and then if you don't say anything, if you said that's dangerous, right, then yeah. people feel they can't say anything. Yeah. yeah. So it's a really hard situation. Not saying anything is definitely not right. And saying something, you have to be very careful. Um, recently, I was put in a very difficult position because I was on a LinkedIn Live and the person... Um, um, flat out asked me about what do I think about what's happening in Israel and Hamas. And I'm not a geopolitical expert in any way or form. Mm. I said that and I said, I think we have failed as a humanity because there is a war going on and he, civilian lives are being, being lost. So we, we as humans, we have lost the art of dialogue around this thing. But that's our, as far as I can go, because I have not studied that region and what has happened. And I don't know the history as well. I just know some basic surface. Right, yeah. 
right? So I'm not in a position to answer that question, even if you put me on the spot. Yeah. Um, I told him that. So there are other leaders that might feel the same way as I do, that they do not know the history as well. So they are afraid of opening their mouths and even say what they think. And so, uh, I was, yeah, yeah, saying the wrong thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, and it is very important to be to have some knowledge. I would say that everybody needs to know a little bit of history. No, nobody can become geopolitical scientists overnight, obviously. Yeah. Um, but be human at this time, and really, I think that's the best thing I can think of. It's not at situation. Be human. Yeah, that's so important. Thank you, Kathy. Hey, Kathy, what would be your one piece of advice for a young person studying out? Oh, um, for a young person. Oh, I think the best thing I can think of is definitely find mentors. Find mentors. And um, also, if you really decide to go to the leadership, um try to gauge your appetite for being around humans being with human emotions these are important right because that because i love that because if you start that young right then you can also start to work on yeah what you might do yeah it's like a muscle to some degree yeah. that you can build up two excellent pieces of advice Kathy Hadizade, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of lean. Thank you, Bella, for having me. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Kathy Hadizade for being my guest at the edges of lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark? We would love to hear from you. You can find Kathy at heartmindtuning.com or at LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com where you will find lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.